This is the sharing your vision effectively session. Are you in the right place? There's some better places. <laughs> like uh, hearing God's will for your life next door somewhere. Uh, spoiler alert, for those of you that came and you think you're going to find out this crafty way to shape a vision, I'm going to tell you right now, if God's behind your vision, this is easy stuff. If he's not behind your vision, good luck. Uh, you're going to need a lot of bumper stickers and a lot of money and a lot of time. And so we're going to reveal that uh, both through experiences of some survey results. Uh, we'll look at God's Word to learn from that. And then I'm going to share some testimonies of some people that some of you may know where we can figure out uh, how did they share their vision, how did that work. But let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, I just uh, I am so grateful for this conference and for all that's happening. Lord, as I walk around and I hear the testimonies of others, I'm encouraged, uh, I'm inspired. Uh, as I sat in the room last night and heard the press conference of uh, people who could have died and would be willing to die again for your glory, it's uh, very powerful stuff. And so I thank you that we're exposed to it, that we can be here and be encouraged and challenged and hear from you. And I pray that uh, we hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, is it Family Feud that says, Survey Says? Is that Family Feud? Okay, we're going to start with Survey Says. And uh, there's these two professors, Jim Coos and Barry Posner, that did a lot of research. And they wanted to find out, who do we follow? Because they wanted to write a book on leadership, not from their views, but... They wanted to find out who would we follow, and so we, we said a bunch of people, I'll follow Tim Hester, and I'll follow George. Anyway, they found all these people that we would follow, and then they went to figure out who are these people. And they learned that the leaders that we tend to follow, and by the way, this started in America. This is culturally relevant around the world. They've done this everywhere. We tend to give the same answer, so we'll... We'll name some names, and they'll go interview these people, and they found out they had four common characteristics. I should back up. I read this book about whenever it came out, 15 or 20 years ago. I was in the corporate world at the time. I'm on staff here now. And I read this book, and for the first time, I read a book that I could use in the corporate world that described my leader, Jesus Christ. And I was going, I wonder if these guys even know what they've done. So I'll tell you that right up front. But they found out that we tend to follow people who are honest, competent, forward-thinking, and inspiring. And I went, oh, that's my Jesus. Uh, He's honest, right? No question about that. Uh, He's competent. He knows things. Uh, You know, when he was a kid, he's up, you know, in the uh, tabernacle, you know, preaching, teaching. Uh, He's forward-thinking. He talked about the kingdom that would come. And he's inspiring To, to this day. He inspires us. So I thought, okay, so far we're off to a good start. Uh, I tend to see weaknesses in men, so you'll see some holes in that sometime, but I have no question. In fact, I met these authors uh, some years later, met one of them in particular, and he said, why do you like our material? And I said, uh, I'd never met him before, and we were in this big corporate office, and I had a bunch of employees kind of looking at me, and I thought, hmm, okay, God, what are you going to do with this? And I said, well, because your material describes my leader. And they, he said, I thought you reported to a board of directors. I said, I do report to a board of directors. That's not my leader. Well, who's your leader? My leader is Jesus Christ, and, and that material describes him just really well. Really? And then I, I can't finish the story because I'll ruin the rest of my deal, but I gave examples of how their materi- material identified Christ and his leadership style. They subsequently wrote a book. By the way, their first book was called The Leadership Challenge. It is a great book. The second book was Christian Reflections on the Leadership Challenge. Because what happened, they wrote that book, and all kinds of uh, Christian leaders said, you've described our leader. You've described Christ. And I think, isn't it interesting that a couple thousand years later, we get busy and do all this survey work just to validate what God showed us and told us. But they also found that effective leaders do five things uh, consistently and very well. They're called five exemplary practices. They model the way. I thought, well, that's interesting. Uh, 1 John 2.6 says if you, I can't remember the exact words, if you love me, you'll do as you, if you abide in me, you will do as I do. That's what Jesus said. So, oh, okay. They model the way. 
Jesus, there's no sin that I'll ever have that Jesus hasn't already figured out. He's modeled everything for me. Good leaders, great leaders, inspire a shared vision. And that's the piece we're going to talk about in a minute. They also challenge the process. They, uh, I want to get this in the right order. They enable others to act and they encourage the heart. So just real quick, because we're not here to talk about all that, but a, a good leader, you as a leader, you need to model the way. You don't ask anybody anything that you're not willing to do. Hey, you need to go serve in some really hot place and be in a hut and don't use a toilet for a week. Really? I should do that? Yes. Have you ever done that? No. Well, I'm not going to do that. You, know, you, you go to the hard places, and then people will follow you to the hard places. Jesus did hard things, and so it makes it easier for us to do hard things. But the inspire the shared vision is what we're going to talk about in just a minute. But let me go ahead and tell you that the challenge, uh, the process, is you'll experiment and take risks. You're not content with just status quo, so you're going to challenge things. That's what leaders do. I, I, I'm discontented with the fact, uh, for example, that Liberia has poor health care. I'm speaking for myself, but that's obviously what drove Kent there. So, so he goes, I'm going to go take care of that. I'm going to challenge that process. They encourage others. They enable others. But let's talk about inspiring a shared vision. Uh, I was a corporate leader for years, and I can tell you the vision casting piece is what throws most leaders. It's very hard to do. It's really hard to do. It's, uh, it's challenging. And, and, in fact, the textbook description is you, en- you envision the future by imagining ennobling and exciting possibilities. And you do it in a way that gets people all fired up, gets them excited. So you go, oh, that's kind of hard. And, and some of the ways you do that, you talk about unique things, you image it, you use poetry, you use bumper stickers, <laughs> you use songs, uh, you spend a lot of money, you do some amazing things to try to get you know the, the base moving. And so a lot of business leaders are they're kind of serious business guys, and they go, hi, I'm not, I'm not really good at that. It's hard. It's, it's a really hard thing to do, and it trips up a lot of leaders. They go, well, I'll work hard. I got that, and you know, I'll, you know, I'll put in 80 hours a week and hope people do that, and I'll encourage people, but that's this vision thing. It's hard. So it's interesting. Kuz and Posner's material and a lot of leadership material uses a speech specifically that just kind of glamorizes how this could be. Uh, the speech was given on the Washington Mall. About 250,000 people heard it. Uh, in fact, the speech wasn't even the highlight of that trip for this guy, uh, which is kind of interesting. He was, if you listen to the whole speech, it's going along, and then all of a sudden, he kicks into this refrain. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day... Does anybody know why he even kicked into that refrain? Do you all know the history of this? Uh, I think her name was Amelia Jackson. Somebody was sitting at down there listening to kind of a mundane speech. Listen to the whole thing sometime. It's not that. She goes, tell them the dream. Share the dream. And all of a sudden he kicks into this heart gear. He was preaching, brothers and sisters. He started preaching. I, I don't know him. I've never interviewed him. But I'm convinced that he did that speech and he did his life because he thought God told him, this is wrong. What, what's happening here in society is wrong. So I'm going to use you to fix it. If you ever want to really learn about him, listen to his last speech he ever gave. I uh, can't remember the date. By the way, when did he do the I Have a Dream speech? Is everybody familiar with the speech? Yeah, there's 250,000 people heard it at the mall. How many think have heard it since then? Like 2, 3.7 gazillion. I know it's, it's a great big number. Uh, he was at the mall. 250,000 people heard it. When was it? 1963. Because 51 years ago, and most of us go, oh, oh yeah, I know that, I know that speech. So it's a pretty amazing speech. But what led up to the speech? What what gave him even kind of the right or the privilege to give the speech? Do you remember the five? There's no way you're going to remember all this. He modeled the way. That guy was a marcher. He was out basically risking his life for his cause, and then he happened to give a speech. Some leaders get this confused. They thought, oh, he gave this eloquent speech, and then people followed him. No, people were following him already. He just got this opportunity to give this great speech. And so I want to kind of encourage you, uh, because I think we get discouraged about, oh, I can't do that. I'm not an orator. How many of you have ever spoken on the Washington Mall? Uh, How many have ever spoken before 250,000 people? 
or you think you will, or having, I mean, it's just, yeah, how many desire to. I did testify before Congress one time, and I can tell you that's, that alone is very intimidating with the little lights going on and off, but it's, you just don't get to do that very often. There's very rarely, even in this church, a mega church where we'll have 20 to 30,000 people a weekend, you think about that, if, if Dave or Kyle just nail it, I mean, it's the best ever. That's just a fraction of the population here in Louisville. Now, they, some will hear it on TV and some will on radio. But So if you came here uh, thinking that you're going to figure out how to give a great speech, i got great news for you. Don't even try. <laughs> you, most of us don't get that shot. i got another question for you. If, if you do have a great vision uh, and you believe it's from God, do you think you get to give the speech once? No. And so how do you think you typically... How do you think you would typically share your vision? And let, again, spoiler alert, if your vision is not from God, you might as well just move on to something else. If your vision's from God, you're going to have this amazing power, not because of you, but because of God. We're his intermediary. And if he's saying, hey, Jack, I want you to do these things for my glory, oh, Yahoo, I got more than, I don't need them all. I don't need the mic, I don't need the TV cameras roll and I just I have the power of the Holy Spirit and I've got God's wanting me to do something for his glory and away I go. And so how how do we typically share our vision? One on one. It's usually small groups, it's home groups. When we had a vision from God to build this uh, church building, nothing like this had ever been done. Uh we I don't remember the exact numbers. Uh, I was one of the ones that went to the bank. That was a little intimidating. I was a lender, but all of a sudden I'm on the other side of the table saying, Will you please loan us like thirty two million dollars and we'll try to raise twenty eight or something. It was just some huge number. I can't recall a single sermon that really caused that to happen. We were just convinced, all of us, that we kept turning people away. Our youth couldn't get in, or we couldn't reach our neighbors. We were we didn't have capacity, so we just felt like God said, Build big. And so we did. But the way that vision was really shared was in home groups. And I can remember the very first home group. I was an elder at the time, and I stood up and I said, Hey, I'm Jack Webster. i got something to share in just a minute. Um, but before I do, let's just go around the room and introduce ourselves and just kind of say how you ended up at Southeast. And the guy to my left, his name's Chuck, he goes, uh, I'm Chuck. Uh, started at Southeast a couple years ago. I don't know what you're going to tell us, but I'm in. We're in. We're good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it went all the way around the room like that. I mean, we were crying. It was just There was just power because God was in it. And so I got, here's, the, here's the pitch. And I never will forget when we, we held up cards to say how much money had been raised. Again, I'm not good. My memory's getting bad. I think we needed to raise uh, $28 million. So we had a little drama. And we, we don't share contribution data in our church. We're very unique. So very few people even knew this number. Um, I'm an elder with finance responsibility. I didn't even know the number. So up on the stage, here's some people. They start holding up cards. Go doop, 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 doop. And the last card was an, uh, a two and I went, ooh, that's 20, it's either 22 million or it's 12 million. <laughs> I can barely say this. It was a three. $32 million. You know, oh, the place went crazy. God, God raised $32 million and we, we only asked for 28. And it wasn't because we had the best order in the world, even though we had a great preacher. It's because God's vision was alive and well in this church and it got done. So, uh, we don't get that opportunity very often. And in fact, um, if you do, uh, good luck. <laughs> I'm going to share an example, some examples of current testimonies in a minute. One of them happens to be a great order. He's a, he's a pastor on our staff. The others aren't. I was hoping they'd be in the room because I was actually going to make fun of them because one of them I think is like a terrible communicator, and I tease him about it. I go, you're, I don't even understand what you're saying half the time, but I'm following you. What's up with this? So it's, it's the power of God's Word. So the survey says... Use metaphors, use stories, use humor, use bumper stickers, do all that. Uh, and that's what a lot of people do. That's what politicians do, by the way. And they do negative. So they don't just say, I'm going to be, I'm awesome. And they're going to say, but Mac's terrible, so don't vote for that guy. He's terrible. You know, he'll steal your children. And, you know, <laughs> it's really bad when you look at what they're doing. It's not leadership, it's, it's uh, cohesion, it's manipulation. So that's what the survey says. And if you're good at that and you get the big audience, go for it. Uh, it's, it's rare. It's the one-on-one, and it's when you're sharing from your heart what God has called you to do, and you're convinced, 
uh, buckle up. In fact, um, my wife and I love to support people uh, going to mission fields. Uh, and my wife is an executive director of a missionary, so she goes all the time. She's leaving for Kenya in about an hour, and I'm here with you. Sorry. Uh, so, But if somebody came up and gave me a slick presentation of why they're going on a trip, I, I would be cordial, but, but I won't even be praying for them. I, I won't get that. But if they come up or send me a letter, and I got one two days ago, and it's as heartfelt, God's called me to do this. I'm, I'm gonna do, I don't even know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm kind of scared. I, I don't really have the resources. Also, not they got me. They got me with God said. And, and if I know them and I believe that's sincere, they've got me. That's where the power is in the vision. So we're going to look at God's Word. So what do we learn from God's Word? I uh, have more fun with this than anything, particularly with one of my friends here, because he talks about visioning a lot. And I keep saying, why don't you just get to work? <laughs> uh, because that I can prove it in God's Word. The vision piece is, is kind of small if we just let go and let God put us to work. And in fact, I should have counted the number of times the word work is used in one example. I didn't. It was work, 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 work. And even on those five exemplary practices, most leaders that are good corporately at setting a vision, it gets set, and they'll, they'll, it'll be a recurring theme, but that's not where they're spending all their time. In fact, how a good vision in a corporate world lasts about how long? Does anybody know? That's probably short. A decade, typically. I mean, you just, I'm talking big organizations. Well, once you've got that firmly implanted and everybody's headed that direction, it just goes. And so people know it. The vision of Southeast Christian Church today is to be a praying church that reaches out and challenges people to follow Jesus com- completely. <laughs> we get, better get it right. This microphone on. Uh, we'll run with that vision for a long time. Now, our strategies are changing drastically. So, you know, going to the neighborhood differently to reach some people, to challenge them. We'll do different prayer. But that vision will be long-term. So you look at Noah. And by the way, do you know what causes us to even want the vision, to cause us to lead? It's a, it's a disillusionment or a dissatisfaction. I may have said that earlier. but So I, I'm, not, I'm not happy with something. I want to change it. That's what leaders do. They change it. I don't like the fact that people aren't getting dental care, uh, my wife's ministry. So she goes and trains indigenous people to take care of their neighbors and it's amazing then they get to go into villages and do what jesus did they heal and teach and they heal and preach and while you got a patient there and you got your hands in their mouth and boy you got them you got this intimate little relationship and said uh, you think this hurts tick 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 let me tell you about something that'll hurt forever they're not quite that blunt but that's what i would do does this hurt yeah well think about hell for a minute uh <laughs> But when you're treating people in these remote areas, and I had it happen one time. I was in India. It's with Steve Saint uh, and Steve and Jenny, and we were driving to this village to do this dental training that a lot of people say, that'll never work. Well, it works. I've seen it. Uh, and we stop in this road on the middle of nowhere, which I was kind of glad because it was me and my wife and Jenny, uh, Jenny and Steve all in the back of one of these awful vehicles that we always ride in, you know, like this for about two hours. And all of a sudden, I look up in the middle of nowhere. There's a bicycle and a guy with a bag. I go, what is that? That's what I'd carry a gun in. That's what I, you know, I've seen too many movies. I bet he's got a gun in that bag. He's going to come kill us. Well, he comes up. Our car slows down. He hands us the bag, and our driver hands him a sack. Looked like a sack of cash to me. I think he just either bought drugs or a gun. I don't know what it was. Well, Steve and I kind of looked at each other. That is weird. So I said, hey. What was that? Who was that guy? Well, we just gotten some news, and he'd been on the phone a lot, speaking a language we didn't understand. We just got some news. It's it's kind of worse than what we thought. So I just bought another gun. He did buy a gun. Yes, I was right. <laughs> it was cash, and it was a gun. And we go to this village surrounded uh, by Hindus who were hostile about this little Christian church that had been planted there and was trying to grow. We set up all these tents. We start treating people, and all of a sudden we've got these... I can't remember what they're called, the leaders of Hindu groups. What are they called? Somebody, anyway. We've got them in the chair, and they're treating them. You can't even, they can't even understand us. But I mean, you, when you treat someone, I mean, you got your hands on them, you're caring for them. The second day, here come some leaders. You know, and I took full contact, taught full contact karate for years, and I, it's like I'm old and not good anymore, but I still kind of go, yeah, you know, I just <laughs> kind of intuitively go into this, okay, I need to protect everyone gear, 
And I did. I just kind of, I just knew this wasn't good. So I'm like, ah, you know, where's the guns? And I got these these fists, I got these guns, you know. And here they come, and you could tell the demeanor on their face was good. They came up and said, your God has done such good for us that we want you to buy land to expand your church. Yes. Yes. That's how vision works. So I don't know that my wife uh, or the dentist or Steve or me, I know I didn't, I don't think we ever gave them the vision statement about how Empower approach is going to change their world. No, we just, we did ministry, we did life, we did love, we, we cared for them. I'm getting way off track. Okay, so what's God's word say? So Moses, what did Moses do? Pretty significant leader, right? What did he do? Yeah, led the people. Yeah, led the people out of captivity. How'd they do with that? Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, and how did he do that when God first said, "I'm calling you to do this"? What was his first response? Yeah, uh, not me. What would he say? What was one of his main things he said? He can't speak. I'm no MLK Jr. That's what he said. Wait, no, he didn't say that. Uh, I can't speak. But God, it was God who was disillusioned. God wanted to set His people free, and God said, "You are going to lead them." Out. And, you know, there weren't any speeches. There were some edicts. Uh, do this or this is going to happen. Do this, this is going to happen. Do this, this. And then when he let them out, I mean, it's just like, really, people? <laughs> you know, they complain about everything. Even one time, not enough something. So, okay, so God says, push it in their mouth so much it will come out their ears. I mean, it was just it was awful what happened. But Moses followed the call that God laid on him because God was disillusioned. Noah, as an earlier example, Noah what was up with that? He's going along, and I can't remember the exact, but God loved Noah and doing good, and God said, hey, I'm really not happy with this stuff. It wasn't Noah that was unhappy. It was God. I'm really displeased. So here's what here's what we're going to do. You're going to build a boat. <laughs> be a great big boat. Noah's going, really? Wow, okay. I don't recall any speeches about the boat. I'm sure he told his family, and people grumbled, and he built the boat. I mean, have any of you ever built an ark, you know, and saved, you know, animals and stuff? No. Uh, not any great speeches, but he was faithful to what God called him to do. Nehemiah is my favorite, though, and I don't expect you to read this, but I've, I've tried to explain this. I said, I just want the visual, so th- thanks to awesome communications department here, I said, would somebody print out the book of Nehemiah in a scroll form? And that's it. So that's Nehemiah. So what did Nehemiah do? I'll sell this afterwards, too, if you need me. No. What did Nehemiah do? He built a wall. Pretty big deal. What was Nehemiah's job before he was a wall builder? Yeah, he's some cupbearer. I'm going, really? This this should give you great hope. Here's a cupbearer. And he hears the news and he goes, oh, this stinks. I almost said a bad word. This stinks. I don't like this. And so uh, here's his vision speech. It's amazing. It doesn't have any of the stuff the world says it should have. So you go along. It's in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 5. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, your servant has found favor in it. And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. What? I mean, there's no way that if if one of the servants here, let's say one of the facility care guys that I know, he came in and said, "Uh, hey, Jack, um, if it so pleases you, uh, could you free up? 20 or 30 million dollars of church resources so I can go. Like, no. <laughs> Unless God was in it. So here's this cupbearer telling the king. Then you go along and he does some inspection. And then down in verse 17, this is kind of when he told the people. Uh, then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in in Jerusalem? Uh, it lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king has said to me. That was the That's his vision statement. So Kuz and Posner, study that one. I mean, really, go figure. There's no way. It doesn't meet the survey requirements. But the rest of this book, which I find amazing, what's he doing? He's building a wall. And so when God, when the vision is implanted us, it's clear. We tell, we speak, but we speak with authority from God, we're His intermediary, and then we go. Uh, was it yesterday morning when someone said, "What would you tell a student if God?" It was uh, was it Debbie? Was that the doctor Debbie? 
I think that was her, said, what would you tell a student that was thinking about this? She said, don't hesitate. I thought, great answer. If, it's, if God is telling you to do something, you do it. And then how you share that vision, you, you share it by saying, God, God said, God did, God told me. God's revealed this to me. That's, that's where the power is. And if you want to do bumper stickers, great. I'd say you're wasting your money. Uh, I didn't see any chariot stickers back here in Nehemiah. They just they got to work. But what's, what's also interesting, and this is a classic, uh, I'd like to spend a lot of time on leadership stuff. This is what happens with leaders, though. So they're building a wall. What happens? Oh, yeah, my, it's awful. It's awful. And what does he do? Because it's just, you know, you could actually, I was going to put like some kind of flow chart in this. It was just too much work and I'm too lazy and I got to go drive up and help my grandkids this afternoon. But what did, what did Nehemiah do when it got really bad? And it's the same thing leaders should do. What did he do? He prayed and he drew them back to God's word. I mean, or at the end, they're reading the law, the book of the law. I mean, it's just amazing. And I find great comfort that Martin Luther King Jr., the one we quote a lot, I think the reason there was power in that, I believe that was from God. I believe he kicked into this refrain and it was God. And I believe God was using him. And you look at what's happened 50 years later, I don't know what he'd say. Uh, I don't know what everybody would say. It's better. Have we, have we achieved? No. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's certainly better. In fact, I heard a, an interview just a couple nights ago. I can't remember the actor's name. It was a black actor. And a black newscaster said, do you really think we've made progress? You know, Really? He said it kind of real negatively, and the actor said, "You and I are sitting here, aren't we?" You know. So yes, progress. Are we? Are we where we need to be? No. My wife's half Chinese, so uh, I got a little taste of this. We moved here in 1982. We were 32 years old, so I'm 64. You don't have to do the math. Uh, and my wife's adorable, this cute thing, but she can't quite figure out. She's half Chinese, so what's up with this? Well, one of the women in our church, she didn't mean badly. You need to know my wife was born in Texas. But she looked at my wife and said, where are your people from? Well, Linda knew what she was asking. But she said, Texas. Texas. <laughs> Did not help. So, And I've learned uh, if, you, if someone has an Asian look, you don't guess what, why that look is that way. Because you will... You will Mess it up and make it mad. Oh, are you Japanese? No. Uh, are you Chinese? No. Okay. So, do you have a native language? <laughs> you know, you got to figure out a way to say it. Anyway, uh, that's what God's word says. So, what what can we learn from testimony of men? And I got to hurry because I see a guy sitting back there that says, "You're not going to leave enough time to for Q and A." I will. So, I'm going to use uh, a few examples. Russ is the guy's name. He was an elder here uh, when I was an elder. The guy, all he talked about was missions, and he was not a good speaker. <laughs> Charlie, you know him. In fact, he was a thorn in my side. Uh, I had no interest in missions. Uh, I thought God planted us here. Let's get busy. Let's build this building. Let's do this stuff. And missions, missions, missions. People not heard. You know, I, I hadn't even heard perspectives, but I didn't know anything. All I knew was go away. You know, you're just a thorn. And in fact, he gave me a tape one time. Jack, sometimes just listen to this cassette tape. As that shows you how long ago it was a cassette tape. You all know what those are. And so one day, my 16-year-old son and I were out in the garage. He was, uh, this is a terrible story to admit to, he was waxing his car. I had a boat on the ground and a boat up on a lift, and I was waxing the bottom of my boat on the lift so it would go faster. That's what we were doing that, I think it was a Sunday afternoon. I said, hey, Jonathan, that tape Russ has been trying to get me to listen to. Plug it in. Let's listen to it. So my son Plugs this tape in, it starts, it says, are you going to spend your life washing and waxing your cars, or are you going to... <laughs> Stop that tape! Stop that tape! And it's funny, years later, when God uh, just grabbed my heart for missions, all that stuff he said, he was planning a vision, inspiring a vision, I just didn't get it at the time. He was just planning, planning, planning. And then when it kind of, I thought, oh my goodness, I mean, I get it. Uh, I just, I wasn't ready to get it at the time. So Russ was not a good speaker. He just pounded away. Here's the other thing Russ did. I, I heard he did ask me to go on trips, but I knew he went on trips. Uh, I knew he met with the Taliban, and he wondered if he would even come out of the room. He had a bunch of kids with guns, uh, and he's sitting there saying, I really would, God told me to build a wall or a health clinic here or something. And he's sitting there, Just uh, he's an anesthesiologist, by the way. He's a medical guy. 
And he's sitting there and he said, it dawned on me. I may not get out this door, but God told me to do it. I'm going to do it. Well, that's, that stuff sticks with me. I go, that's a gutsy move. Uh, I remember he got in a car one time. I just bought a new car. This is, again, before my heart for missions. And he goes, oh, this car smells so good. I love the smell of a new car. Why do you have this car? Oh, do you know what you could do with the money you spent on this car? So that's, that's Russ. Let's see, who else am I going to pick on? Charlie. Uh, Charlie happens to be sitting right there. You should have been in here. Just an amazing guy, but not, sorry, Charlie, not an order, okay? Sometimes he'll speak, and I go, I don't think that was very clear. I'm not sure. So my wife comes to this conference uh, nine years ago, ten years ago, I think. I was in Omaha. We lived in Omaha at the time. I had just resigned uh, from a CEO job, and I was, I had no idea what I was supposed to do and talking to God and what in the world am I supposed to do? So Linda comes here to this this conference, and she calls me. She goes, oh, Jack, you've got to go to Ghana with this guy named Charlie Vitito. And I go, what? I mean, I, God had not grabbed my heart yet. I said, what? He had a little bit, but not entirely. I said, Ghana, is that like a really hot place? <laughs> you know? Do they have running water? And you know, Anyway, you got to go. I said, uh, get him to call me. So Charlie calls me. I know right where I stand and what he called. I won't tell the whole story, Charlie. But I get off the phone and I look at my wife. And I'm used to inspirational leaders. And it, that's not what that was. And I think in hindsight, <laughs> sorry, I think in hindsight, he was, I think, and I've heard his side of the story after I've told mine 50 times, I think he felt trapped by my very pushy wife. You know, you call him and get him away from me for 10 days. I think that's probably what she said to him. And I don't think he really cared whether I went, hey, here's this trip. And I said, what will I do? What will I do? Because I'm a doer. I, I don't know. Just go. And I got off the phone and I looked at Lynn and I go, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Well, I end up going to Ghana. <laughs> and I've been teaching this leadership challenge stuff for, by then, a decade. I'd never seen it. I really had not seen very many leaders that modeled the way, inspired a shared vision. It's very hard to do. I don't know where Coos and Posner found all these people. But I'm sitting there in this little hot church one day uh, watching Charlie instruct and encourage and model. He was doing all of it. All like in 30 minutes I was going, oh my goodness. God, you had to bring me all the way to Ghana to let me see leadership. And to let me see that leadership is action. It's just it's doing what God called you to do. Here's a guy who got disillusioned by going on dental trips, and at the end of the trip, the line was longer than it started because more people. Whoa! <laughs> there. At the end of the trip, the line was longer. You get, you know, on the plane to come home, you feel terrible. And he was disillusioned by that, prayed about it, uh, sought the counsel of many, and basically created a ministry called Empower. So you go train indigenous people, and it's unbelievable. Again, a lot of dentists go, there's no way this works. I know of dentists who have gone on their first trip and wept like the second day because for years they've been critical of it and they see it works. Uh, are there any dentists in the room? Okay, good. So I can offend anybody. It's not really hard to pull teeth. Let me just tell you. that You can be taught in a few days. <laughs> what you got to be good at is knowing which ones to pull. <laughs> you pull the ones that anybody can pull out and people are happy. I mean, you don't, I mean, you don't tackle cases that you can't win on. And so you can do immediate help. Uh, I'm way oversimplifying that. But disillusioned, prayed, sought the counsel, and did it. Uh, I have not heard Charlie give a big speech about empower. I've heard my wife speak about it. My wife's an introverted, quiet, methodical machine. That's about all she talks about. But she doesn't get up and give speeches. She goes. Uh, She's going right now to Kenya to do this and leaving me here with the grandkids to do projects. So what's up with that? Okay, Uh, a couple other examples. Where are they? Dave, Patty. Oh, oh, I'm going to say last names. Dave, Uh, he's a missionary kid. He'd been in Europe. He saw the the wall of uh, communism falling. He goes, somebody needs to go tell all these youth in Eastern and Central Europe about God. They they know nothing. And he, he prayed about that and prayed about it and prayed about it. And God said, you do it. You do it. This guy is an amazing teacher. He's an amazing leader. But, and he talks, he quotes the vision a lot to be a movement of the youth in Central Europe that transforms country through the local church. I think that's close. 
So he'll say that a lot, but what he does, he transforms those countries through youth, through telling them about Jesus. Josiah Venture now is 20 years old, and last year uh, you know, hundreds of young people came to know Christ that never knew Christ. It wasn't because of some speech, it's because he's, God told him to do it, he went and did it. Last one, Matt, uh, he's a guy on the team here with me, really irritates me because two or three years ago, it's kind of like Russ in a way I hadn't thought about it. He's just nicer than Russ. You know, uh, when you go home, do you know your neighbors? Uh, no, I don't know all my neighbors. You know, when I get home, I like to go watch the evening news and kind of chill and kind of gotten into building radio-controlled helicopters and planes. And after being here all day, no thanks, don't want to do that. Well, he, he just talked about, well, what, what won me over, uh, first off, I thought, this is kind of lame. My wife and I, we do get kind of tired. We want to go home. We, we, we kind of want to close the doors. And I see my other neighbors hanging with each other, and I know they're not believers because so I've talked to them. Uh, but I now have an employee, or we have an employee named Chris, who saw Matt in his neighborhood and thought, that guy is awesome. He followed Matt. Matt introduces him to Christ. Chris just is on fire, and Chris now works here, and the guy's amazing. He never heard Matt's speech. He never heard him cast a vision. He saw him modeling the way. He saw him making disciples who wanted to make disciples. So you can see uh, in God's word, you can see in the testimony of others, if you want your vision to be clear, just get busy. Go do it. There's several verses I like uh, that people get don't like me to quote. <laughs> because I think sometimes in ministry, we want to just kind of go off and pray and you know, study the Word, and that's good, uh, and I should do more of it, but I'm so action-oriented, but I love the verse, faith without works is dead. Now, I know you have faith. I know you know God's Word, but let's get to work. Let's go do something. And then I know that we can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine because of Him, not because of our abilities. So let's let's be real clear on what God's calling us to do. Charlie was very clear on he did not like those dental lines, and he, he did it. He just went out and did it. I know a bunch of you in this room have got that story, same story. So if you want your vision to be clear, show it. If you can tell it, great, but show it. Now, I was supposed to stop in time for Q&A. Did I, Charlie? You were good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to come give a speech now that I've set you up? Okay. <laughs> All right, I would like, and I've been walking around uh the speakers have been told we're supposed to leave time for Q&A, and I've noticed no one's doing it. I thought, well, at least I'm going to try. So we have time. So ask anything, say anything. Yes, ma'am. There's just a part in it that, like, so what gets in the way of effectively sharing your Oh, thank you. That, that's supposed to do that, too. Okay, so to do that, <laughs> I need some help. Um, I'm going to set up four chairs. I'll show you. Rather than say it, I'll put four chairs, and I'm going to go on a ride. And I need passengers. I'll be in the driver's seat over here. I need I need somebody to come on this trip with me. Come on, come on, we're gonna have some fun. And you have to I mean you have to act like we're having fun at first, okay? Okay, so this is a convertible and let's pick up has anybody driven across Kansas to go to Colorado for the first time in their life? Some. Okay, well if you're driving across Kansas, boring. Okay, it's just like flat, and if you've ever seen the mountains before, all of a sudden, there they are. So, okay. There they are! Oh, it's the mountains. So, there you go. Okay. So, the vision, there's the vision. It's, it's to get to the top of that mountain, whatever that is. And so, we're excited and happy, and the top's down, and radio's on, and we're, we're doing good. So, when visions are clear, there, there's a lot of... Are you all... Be, Wait a minute. Oh my gosh, come on, you're having fun? You're supposed to be excited. Okay, so when visions are clear, life's good, uh, the technical aspect in a, in a business setting or a work setting, is there's productivity. Things are happening, we're, we're going along. But here's what happens when fog comes in. When visions are not clear, so some fog starts rolling in. So here comes the fog. Ready, thespians? You, you got have it. your seatbelt on? Thank you. Oh, I need to get that on. So the fog's coming in. Thank you. Um, so what else do we do when it starts getting foggy? Surely you all been through this. So what else are we going to do? Put on our fog lights. Put on the fog lights. That's a good idea. What else happens? Okay, let's, let's slow down. We'll put this cooking. Now we've got the roof down. Okay, what else? Get a map. Get a map. 
That's good. I didn't thought about it. Get a map. Okay, wait a minute. What what did I have? Thank you. You slow down. What else? Remember the music was on? Does it go off? I don't know why that helps us, but we turn the music off. So then we can see better, right? Go, go figure. Turn that off. And then what does the driver always do? Because you can't see it all. So what you do, you get three inches closer. Yes, yeah. And there's tension and, you know, shut up, kids, and stop it, leave me alone. No, stop. Oh, i got to drive. And, you know, it's how you can't. We Are we were, there yet? We, not yet. Thank you. I was actually on a drive like this one time. My kids. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Thank you. My kids were always in a seat buckle. Thank you. And this big storm rolled in as we were driving to Tulsa. And, I mean, just black clouds, black clouds, and it did look bad in the radio saying the car was starting to get buffeted. And, and I was kind of scared, but I was trying to be, you know, the strong dad. And our, I think our daughter was three or four. She goes, Dad, Dad, can I get up there with you? Uh, okay, so she, she got up in the front seat. And then my son asked for the same thing. He got in the front seat. So all four of us were going like this, and I'm thinking, this isn't good. And my daughter said, will you pray? And I said, uh, no, I'm trying to drive you pray. So my, my little daughter, she goes, dear God, make this storm go away. And it went, yes. And then the vision was clear and off we go. So what happens uh, when the vision's not clear to our followers? This thing's just shut down. There's tension, productivity stops, we miss turns. Uh, it's just not good. And so if you're at a church, for example, and it's not real clear where you're going. We're going to show up. We're going to kind of work, but we're kind of not really with it. But all of a sudden, our church right now, part of our strategy, we want to take this community. There's 2,000 neighborhoods, and in 10 years, we want to take them. Uh, you know, it's going to totally be a God thing. It's just a God thing. 2,000 neighborhoods in 10 years, we're going to have the presence of Christ in all of them. Okay, God, we're going for it. So we're... We're hiring community pastors, and we're doing stuff, and we're doing stuff we've never done before, and we're excited about it because we think God's telling us to do it. And so now all of a sudden people are kind of leaning in that we're kind of, you know, we were just kind of marking time before. Thank you, driver, passengers. And thank you. Go to the bathroom. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, uh, I can give you kind of a corporate response, and I can give you a, a biblical. And in the corporate world, that's called a course correction or course reset, and you, you really have to reset a team. Uh, there's four phases to teams. If you all know this stuff, they form. So you, you put the team in place. Then they norm. They hit some normal pace. By the way, this is really – you'll see this on mission trips all the time. So you, you get the team together and you kind of do the pre trip and so you kind of get some normalcy you figure each other out but then a team storms that something's bad uh you know the flight's canceled somebody's deathly ill something bad and then all of a sudden the team kicks into a whole different gear and it's called high performance so they form norm storm and then they highly perform if you're if you're just floundering uh you may need a storm you may literally need a crisis. Sometimes our church has always just kind of gone smoothly. Russ, this former elder, back when we had a transition in senior pastors, he goes, maybe we'll mess this up. I said, why? <laughs> he said, so we'll be desperate. So we'll be kind of in a crisis mode here. I mean, it's just, it's just been great. I mean, the, I've been a part of this church since 82. It's just amazing how God just keeps saying, really? Because we're not that good. <laughs> I know us all. We're not good at all. Uh, but God just keeps blessing us. And I think I'll give you an example in Ukraine right now. Uh, Josiah Venture that, that I'm uh, on the board with. Ukraine got really got hit hard with all this stuff. They had the best year ever in camps. All the Americans bailed on them. No Americans would take teams over there. So the Ukrainians... And some others just banded together. And you know what? People come to know Christ because there's, there's a storm brewing. In fact, uh, I got to meet the guy. You probably saw him on news that put up the tents to provide Bibles and coffee uh, for his brothers that were soldiers and his brothers that were not. And at first, they couldn't keep up with the coffee. All of a sudden, coffee wasn't a problem. They couldn't keep up with the Bibles. 
And he started out praying that his countrymen wouldn't die, and he ended up praying they would not die without knowing Jesus because he knew they were going to die. And so it's probably too complex of an answer, but if you're just floundering, maybe, maybe you haven't hit the wall yet. And some leaders will actually throw a team into a little bit of a chaos. Uh, we've talked about it in here. We've had some trips that didn't go well. And in hindsight, I thought, I wonder if it's because our retreats were too good. Maybe the pre-planning trip, the food shouldn't have shown up. Maybe we should have had to walk a couple miles to get something to eat or actually skip a meal. Maybe somebody should go turn the hot water tank off. I mean, maybe we should do that. So that this is reality. So get ready for it. And, and if people bail, go good. Bail here. Don't bail with us overseas like you and I mentioned the other day. I don't know if that's a good answer. And, but as a leader... Uh, I hate to quote secular stuff, but uh, I don't do much. But I, I can't remember whose book it was. Collins, I think. If there's a problem, you look in a mirror. If there's a success, you look through the glass. As leaders, we often see a problem and we try to, you know, it's, it's the team's fault. It might be your fault. It might be my fault. If I've got a team that's flattering, it may be because I have not given clarity in the vision. They're in this stinking car and all I see is fog. I mean, maybe they just don't get it. And so you just you call a time. I, I think I also, again, this is kind of off point. I, the best leaders I know look for, they aggressively look for bad news. Because we all get, everybody tells me how great everything is. I want to know what's not working. And as a leader, I want to know what's working so I can help fix it. So uh, I would ask that team, why? Team, you tell me, why are we not doing well? What's, what's the issue? Well, I can tell you the issue. We don't have enough supplies. Or I don't understand where you are. Or, how come you're passionate about this but I never see you? I mean, you might be surprised what the answers are, but you ask the hard questions and be ready for the answers. Jack, uh, along that same line, Patrick Lencioni's book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, has some real good diagnostics for dysfunctional teams. Okay, great. Did you hear, everybody hear that? Patrick Lencioni's book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. For the audio, Patrick Lencioni's book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Great examples of uh, what goes on in a team. What else? Yes, ma'am. What book would you say is the best that covers what you've just been covering? The Bible. I have to say that. <laughs> God used the Bible. Then I got all Sunday school classes passed. Uh, my favorite book is The Leadership Challenge. The Leadership It's by Coos and Posner. I'm, I've read a lot of books, and I used to make fun of one. And this is like a public confession number 28. It's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And I'd go, Really? 21, I mean, who can remember 21? Irrefutable and laws and give me a break. And then I'm in his home a few years ago and I felt awful because he was a gracious host and wonderful and huge heart for the Lord. And so I'm sitting with another executive pastor guy and I said, I feel terrible. He said, why? And I told him, he goes, oh, we've all made fun of that. And I said, I feel like I should go up and ask him to forgive me. He goes, and ruin this wonderful evening? No, let's <laughs> leave it alone. Okay. Uh, but, I, but there are books that are predicated on our view or our opinion. And it's why I like the Leadership Challenge. I, I love the, the fact that the results aimed me towards God's Word. And I've used it in the corporate world for uh, probably 15 years. And it was great. And I'd say, you know, there's a proverb that says, and I knew right away who the believers were in there. That's Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron. So I'd say there's this proverb that says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And, you know, the kind of the Christians would light up, and other people would go, whoa. And it, every time it would happen, I'd get to bring, where do you get those proverbs? Where are those? Well, I don't know if you all know about the Equal Employment Opportunity Act, but you have to be very careful. So I go, oh, it's an unbelievable book. It's a great book. I mean, it's kind of your question. Is this the best book ever? It's the best book ever. More sold than anywhere, anything Around the world. What is it? Well, just go check it out. Go Google the... And I'd find say it's in the Bible. So you're quoting the Bible. Well, I quoted a proverb. I just quoted a wise proverb. Do you want me to do Confucius says? I got some of those too. I'll even things out. But I, but I think Coos and Posner, because it was based on research and it's been validated. Uh, and when they came back and wrote the Christian Reflections, it was a huge validation on our community saying, cool stuff. Because that wasn't just me that said that. The neat thing was they were working on the book at the time, and they asked if we would contribute. And I'm not, like my wife was like this uh, perfect student, and I was just wanted to get out of school. So when they said, you want to contribute, that meant like a lot of work. So I had these verses in my mind, had these examples. So my chief financial officer uh, in Omaha 
was also a strong believer, and he was a worker. I said, hey, Gene, would you like for us to contribute to this new book? And we did, because he wrote all these verses out for us, and we sent them in. And uh, <laughs> They actually used some of it. So, But the, if you want the short book, it's called Christian Reflections on the Leadership Challenge. You can get it on Amazon, I'm pretty sure. By the way, the Leadership Challenge, if you just Google that, they have their own website. You can buy all kinds of stuff. Do I have till 10.20, Bonnie? No, sir. Ten minutes? Okay. Other questions? Yes? Uh, what's on a program, a leadership program for young men, young men in the church to uh, help bring them into a deeper walk with Christ? Um, it's based after boot camp, kind of, mm-hmm. uh, wilderness experience. Mm-hmm. And um, so this, we have one coming up here in a few weeks. It's going to be our first time in states to the team. What advice would you have for us as leaders? Wow. Pray. Uh, pray a lot. I think the whole, anytime we're bringing a group, particularly of young men, should you say, together, uh, we just have to totally give that over to God. Uh, because it, it, with our best efforts, we won't get it right. Because some of them are going to want it to be real physical, others real uh, you know, cerebral. I pray a lot. And then I would also uh Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. I can't remember what proverb that got written down somewhere. But I would ask others who have done that, maybe you already have. Uh, Charlie can put you in touch with a guy in um, Kenya that runs a program for men that's phenomenally successful. Teaches young men in Kenya to be men and to be godly men with one wife and to treat her well. And they have some physical aspects, some spiritual aspects. Charlie, is there something we could get on that? Do you know? Yeah. Transform the nations in Kenya. The the um, the leader of it is Simon Mbevi. I don't know how to spell, spell his last name. Do you, Charlie? M-B-V-E-I. M-B-V-E-I. Simon Mbevi. He's an amazing uh, man of God. In fact, he's a man that we've uh, brought here to our church to help us with prayer because he's a prayer warrior. So, and it was like almost over the top for a lot of us. And some people said, wow, that was a little bit strong. I said, have you ever been to a physical trainer, <laughs> a personal trainer? You know, these are kind of scary, strong guys. So this is kind of what Simon was to us. And he, 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 moved, he moved a bunch of us. He also scared a bunch of us. So. <laughs> yes? Um, as a young leader, um, it can be really sometimes difficult, I think, to balance the transparency and the vulnerability that we hear talked about in some seminars with trying to be kind of the strong leader and casting the vision and being the model. Oh, so what's your advice got to it. a young Okay, what's my advice to a young leader who's trying to balance out vulnerability? There's a, I think there's a book. Uh, I'm not sure of this, uh, but I've heard this fable, Leaders Weep, uh, and a story is told about this big financial guru who got up in front of his company and people hated him. Uh, he just found his wife had terminal cancer, and he gets up at the stockholders meeting and, you know, got a gazillion people out there, and all of a sudden he just pushes the thing over and goes, you know, my heart's broken for my wife. And he started weeping, and he, he couldn't finish it. The company went, Phew! you know, so every, every other leader started making up sick wife stories or something. You know, I don't know. But I, I have firsthand experience on that that I never intended to do. When I uh, moved to Omaha, I was a new CEO, young in that context. I, I wasn't, uh, but I was a young CEO. And so here we brought a thousand people into the room, and I'm up there, and I asked the executive team, "I want you to say personally what you will do for this team to be the, this organization to be the best." And I will start on all of the way. I had no idea that I wasn't going to be able to pull this off. Uh, so I got up, and I was going to use the leadership challenge material covertly in this organization, and we did one best place to work. It's it's, it's amazing material because you can really. Uh, kind of preach and not be preaching. You can use this. So anyway, I got up and here's the first time all these employees have ever been gathered together. I'm the new guy. I don't I don't know very many people. And I said, you're going to find out this is one of my favorite books. And I held up the leadership challenge. And you're going to, over time, learn that, that my expectation is that we all lead, that leadership's everyone's business. So don't just look to me and don't look to this team. And I put it down, and you need, I got to back up. I had been there by then a few months and was working 20 hours a day. I mean, I was just totally wrung out. 
not seen my wife much at all. In fact, she, she and my daughter hadn't even moved uh, but for a few weeks earlier, and I was emotionally just drained and didn't realize it. But I had my Bible stuck down there. I think I can pull this off. Now, I used to tell a story, uh, but I held this up, and I knew it was a risk. I didn't care because I, was, I thought, you know what? I want these people to know. So I said, now, this is my favorite book, and I know by holding this book up that might be Threatening to some of you, but I'm okay with that. I'm just telling you personally, this is my favorite book. And, I, and the reason I want to share it with you is because I'm failing in a significant area right now, and I need your help. And then I started struggling. And I said, this book says that a husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church and be willing to lay down his life for her. And I said, I think I would have said I've done that for the past 30 years, however long I've been married, but I haven't since I got here because I've lost I've lost that focus and I've focused too much on this company. We had 88 offices in four states. And I said, all of you want me in all these offices. I can't get to all these offices. And I can't get to all these offices and still love my wife as Christ loved the church. So I, I've got to figure that balance out and I need your help. But by then, I was a wreck. I mean, I was crying. I was just convicted. I could just see Linda, you know, wow. So I'm fighting to get through this and you know, just struggling. And I would have never, if I had known in advance it had been that hard, I would have never done it. So that, that's what's amazing about God. You don't, you don't try to figure this stuff out. You just do it. So guess what happened? Never would have, I mean, the place just went crazy and it threw me. Guess who my best friends were for a long time? Well, about 60% of the organization is female, it typically is. So 80% of those are wives. What do you think they thought of that? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I did. That was not the reason I did it. But they're going. Well, I wish my husband would say that in front of a thousand people. You know. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I have no regrets, and I'm an emotional guy. And there's the. Uh, I think to suppress your emotions. I hear this more from females. Well, they'll think I'm weak. No, they're going to think you care. No, they're going to think you have a heart. I'm not a strong mercy gift guy. Uh, but I'm an emotional guy. So, uh, and like, if you weren't effective in a, as an employee, I can easily separate you from the company. And so, you don't have any mercy. Yeah, I do. I care more about all these people than that one. I, I can just doesn't mean I don't have mercy for you. It means I have mercy for the the big picture. But I I would never ever coach a female or a young leader to suppress the way God's wired them. And in fact, if you had to suppress it to move forward, I'd say you're in the wrong place. Go get in a place where you can be who God created you to be. Because God's got some, you know, there's many parts of the body of the Christ. We can't all be heads, we can't all be hearts, but we're all valuable. And we can't, we can't start chopping off parts because they don't fit our, our mindset. I'm, I'm a truth teller and it gets me in trouble a lot. And I've just, I, I try to suppress it at times. I thought, no, I'd rather just tell the truth. And if I get fired or somebody doesn't want me to work with them, I mean, I don't want to do it with a mean spirit. But I'm not going to say, oh, wow, we sure did good last week. If we didn't do good, I'm going to go, no, that wasn't very good. Yes, sir. Then we probably should stop. One organization I'm familiar with focused on the vision that you were talking about. But they also spent a lot of time working on the values of that organization. Yes. That then became the guiding principles of how that organization is going to function. Yes. Uh, good leaders do. They're called core values typically. And the organization I came from, we only had two because I'd, I'd been in places where there's just too many of them. So we only had two. We were a lending business. So it was, I think to me it was imperative. It was honesty and integrity. And people go, those are the same thing. No, <laughs> they're different. I can go into a prison and have an honest transaction with a serial killer. He could have no integrity, but he could have had an honest transaction. So it's really both. Integrity is honesty over time. But uh, and we drilled that, and we had, we terminated employees if they breached those core values. They could be the best loan officer, the best anything, but if they, you know, falsified a document or lied to us, they didn't work for us anymore. And everyone knew that. And in fact, the, the beauty of having good core values is, if your organization understands them, the leadership doesn't even have to enforce them. <laughs> the organization enforces them. You know, we're not going to want somebody sitting next to us that's going to tear us down. Charlie, I'm going to ask you to pray, and we'll close this out, brother. <laughs> Father in heaven. Thanks for the old
shared vision to make disciples and make disciples. And so, Lord, I pray for this group of people in this room that they have heard from you today, that they will walk in obedience to what you call them to do. So, Father, I pray for strength, for blessing, for favor, for pure wisdom that comes from heaven, that you would uh, see, uh, that we would get to see your blessing and uh, disciples being made that make more disciples. And all this for your glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the wisdom you gave Jack. Thank you for uh, him modeling the way of making disciples and uh, the wisdom that you've given. So, Lord, I pray uh, for all of us that uh, we would uh, walk closely with you, hear your voice, uh, be obedient to that, that the Holy Spirit would be our best friend. For your glory, your Amen. Amen.